That's soprano Renee Fleming in one of her signature roles, the Marshallin from Strauss's Der Rosenkavalier. It's a moment from the end of the first act. The Marshallin, at the ripe old age of 32, is reflecting on getting older. She's speaking to her lover, Octavian, who's roughly half her age, 17 years old, and she's telling him how preoccupied she is with the passage of time. So preoccupied that she wakes up in the middle of the night and stops all of the clocks in the palace. Marshallin knows that nothing she does can prevent the inevitable. She will age, and Octavian will leave her. Welcome to He Sang, She Sang, the podcast that takes you deep inside your favorite operas. I'm Marin Lazian, and today I'll be speaking with mezzo-soprano Alina Garancia, who's playing the role of Octavian in the Met's new production of Der Rosenkavalier. This production is sort of an uncanny example of life imitating art, because just as the Marshallin realizes that it's time for her to let go of her younger lover, Renee Fleming recently announced that it's time for her to let go of her busy opera career. When Fleming takes the stage for the final performance of Der Rosenkavalier on May 13th, it'll be the last time she ever walks in the Marshallin's shoes. But Fleming isn't the only one in a time of career transition. Alina Garancia has also decided that this will be her last run as Octavian. She'll be moving on to new things. No more trouser roles. No more adolescent boys. But Octavian is a role that Alina's been singing for over 17 years. So I wanted to know why she's decided now to let him go. Because it's time to move on. Um... I'm truthful to what I think the piece and the character and personaggio requires in the opera. Octavian is 70 years and two months old in the piece, and it's actually now in May singing the performances is going to be 70 years and two months since I first sang this role. Oh, wow. So it somehow really closes very roundly and very nicely. And I just listening to myself and uh, now making the transition into the new repertoire, I realized that my voice has become more mature. And I think that it really is time now for the younger generation, for the younger Mr. Sopranos to take over it and justify the needs of a 17-years-old one. Yeah. Well, in the opera, the Marshallin speaks about waking up in the middle of the night and stopping the clocks because, you know, she she has a sense of sadness or this bittersweet reaction. Yeah, I think she is a little bit overwinds around this whole thing, <laughs> you know. I mean, it's a lovely opera, but it's one of the characters that I would not be able to sing it because this kind of, you know, melancholic desperation of trying to stop her is like, come on, woman, you know, move on. We can't stop it anyway. What's the point of just sulking about it? But, you know, it's, it's probably you need to have a right... Position 
personality to do those things, I know I will not be able to sing it ever. <laughs> yeah. So so you have no qualms about moving on. It sounds like you're ready to just look forward. I mean, you know what? I don't like to get older, no. Yeah. Uh, you know, I obviously realize that the certain things will never come back anymore. And, you know, I turned 40 and, and turning the four zero number is, is a little bit sensitive for women. But I also realize that it, and I, I see that there are so many incredible things happening in my life now that I was either too busy to see it or maybe too stressed or too eager about the success, about the family, or I don't know what, just proving some point to myself that now I can really step back and look at it from the outside world and, and say, you know, hey, I can I can enjoy and I should enjoy my life also because the time just flies far too quickly and why to leave everything for tomorrow because very often the tomorrow is, you know, might not even come as sad as it be and we can't stop it. I mean, I, you know, there is just so much that uh, plastic surgeons can do, I think. <laughs> and there is just so much that we can uh, try to run the time after. But, you know, at some point you have to realize the life goes on and, and we just have to make the best out of it, out of the time that we are given. Absolutely. Do you think that you will miss playing these trouser roles at all? No, because I, in general, I never look back. My my uh, theory of the life is, you know, don't look backwards, otherwise you're going to go with the back into the future. And I kind of really like to live today and for the future. The past, we can't change it anymore. At that point, whatever decision we made seemed to be the decision and the right decision to be made. Afterwards, you know, people always say everybody is cleverer. But at that point, when we did it, we did it because we believed that we had to do it. So whatever the past is, it's in the past. You have children, yeah? Yes, I have two daughters. How old are they? Three and five and a half. So they probably aren't ready to learn the lessons of uh, of not looking back and making the, the hard choices. But it sounds like a good lesson to eventually teach them. Anyway. Well, I mean, my bigger one, she will never run into the swings anymore because three weeks ago we were in Central Park and she somehow just suddenly turned and, and got run into the swings and got her face cut uh, from Aww. the, you know. So it wasn't an experience and now she's learned it for the lifetime. <laughs> never to approach it, you know, unexpectedly. But I think because I come also from the country who had to um, fight for survival very often, you know, we we are survivors in our being Latvians in, in Latvia, you know, yeah. Latvia, yeah. And and I think that kind of independence and being able to take the best after the situation, of course, I want to give also to my daughters. I mean, in the girls' world, is not easy. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. Sophie Koch as Octavian, and Deanna Damrau as Sophie in the Act Two love duet from Strauss's Der Rosenkavalier. 
This is the moment when things get really tricky for Octavian. He's just been loved and rejected by the Marshallin, and now he's falling in love with the sweet and age-appropriate Sophie. Quite the journey. Between the music and the gender-bending, Octavian is such a challenging, dynamic role. Any mezzo who sings it has a lot to take on, not just vocally and dramatically, but also physically. Alina Garancha has put a lot of thought into making Octavian as real as possible. Yeah, because Octavian actually has to react to circumstances which he's been somehow put into, willingly or unwillingly, and um, him having a, a wonderful time uh, enjoying the company of Marshall, and suddenly, like, you know, two hours later, he's been dismissed. And uh, it's probably very, very shocking um, for him. And then within, you know, a couple of days or whatever the time spread would be, he uh, goes and, and again, you know, puts in a new situation with falling in love with somebody whom he has to rescue at the end because, you know, he's a gentleman and um, probably because he's in love and, and, you know, just this idyllic way of thinking probably. And then, uh, you know, again, the, the whole scene with the ox where he kind of tries to, uh, prove the point what probably Marshallin is telling him that the, all the men are the same, you know. So he, from the point of the men, he has to play the woman who would treat the men as a reaction to how the men would be treating the woman. So it's really very complicated. Lots of layers. I know, lots of layers, but it's very, very great fun to play it because you can really just explore yourself and try to react. Yeah, because it's not it's not your typical trouser role. You don't you're not just a woman playing a boy. Yeah. At some point you're also a woman playing a boy playing a woman. Exactly. And uh, do you approach those two aspects of the role differently? Do you find yourself having to move in a different way oh, when you're yeah. yeah. Oh absolutely. I'm I'm a great observer and I really believe in a small gestures and small details and uh, actually particularly for this production because I knew that we're going to have a light, uh, HD live uh, transmission I was really looking in a YouTube in the young boys movies in you know the young Leonardo DiCaprio because somehow people thought that I look very I like him as a young Leonardo DiCaprio on the, on the poster yeah. um, yes and I, we actually got actually on the <laughs> on the Metropolitan Instagram page we got from him to Smiley so I'm very <laughs> proud of it <laughs> So, and for me, really, the gesture how a young man would grab a woman or how a young man would kiss a woman, you know, uh, how it would sit down, how it would walk, uh, spread legs, you know, the gestures about what it would be uh, and how the men would walk with the high heels. And it's actually not so much about stumbling. It's about the back posture and about the, the hips, you know, the way it moves. <laughs> right. I, I love those details. It makes my life very interesting. And particularly if you have a possibility, like in the first act and like in the third act, uh, the time for the quick switches that the audience can realize it is really a man who is suddenly in a woman and then again man. So these kind of sharp cuts is wonderful. And I, I really enjoy it very, very much. Um, you mentioned the way that a young man would kiss a woman. Does a man kiss a woman differently from a woman, how a woman kisses oh, a yeah, man? Oh, yeah, because the man actually, they like to grab the head of the woman and pull towards them, and the women can just submissively just kind of leans towards the men. So it, it's quite a difference there, yeah. Has this changed the way that you kiss in your real life, do you think? Kiss more like a man than a woman nowadays? Well, I know my husband for 17 years, you know, we have, <laughs> we have some experiences of approaching each other. That's true. No, but don't make me cautious about that because next <laughs> time I'll see him, I will think, oh, I'm the kissing my husband. Yeah. Um, I don't know. No, you know what? It's probably is what I am when I am going on the stage. I forget at that moment what I am and who I am. I just completely convert myself. 
into the character that I want to play. And in this very moment, it really, the moment I put those shorts on and the moment I, I have that short wig on the head, I really become, I feel as a man. And my gestures and, and the inside feeling is is um, really that of an Octavian. And it's actually very funny, but at the very beginning of my career, I still remember, it was actually also Octavian in mining in the first time that I sang it after three rehearsal weeks. I was dreaming in the, um, in my dreams that I was going to the men's loo. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> somehow impersonated myself really very deeply. <laughs> Hopefully you don't make that mistake in real life. No, no, probably <laughs> not. <laughs> Strauss loved writing for the female voice, especially sopranos. His wife was a soprano, so he had plenty of inspiration, and it shows. There's an embarrassment of lush vocal writing for the three female leads in Der Rosenkavalier, and Strauss managed to create three fully distinct characters. He started by turning to different voice types to play the different roles. The Marshallin is a full lyric soprano, She has the high notes, but there's also darkness to her voice. It's a rich, full sound that captures her nobility, her complexity, and her maturity. Here's Renee Fleming as the Marshallin. By contrast, the other soprano voice in Der Rosenkavalier is the young Sophie. Sophie is a lighter lyric soprano. She has high, silvery notes that capture her sweetness and her youth. Here's Deanna Damrau as Sophie. Finally, there's the impetuous and passionate mezzo role of Octavian. Strauss used a woman's voice because Octavian is a teenager, not a full-grown man. But the sound should be warm and round. And it is, in this performance by Alina Garancha and Diana Damrau is singing Sophie. The three women of Der Rosenkavalier sing arias and duets throughout the opera, but they all come together in the glorious Act Three trio, or Terzet in German, as you'll hear Alina Garancha refer to it. This is the climactic moment for the love triangle. Everyone's dealing with intense and complicated feelings that they're expressing through the music. Sophie realizes that Octavian once loved the Marshallin, 
She's confused, but also in awe of this beautiful and dignified older woman. Octavian is conflicted and remorseful for abandoning the Marshallin. And the Marshallin is remembering her promise to let go of Octavian so that he can build a life with a woman his own age. The rich textures, the soaring lines, and the sheer beauty of this trio make it a musical highlight of the opera. And Alina Garancha says that it's not easy for the women who perform it. Probably the main challenge is um, to blend in the right way with all of them. It's to not lose your own personality and your own color and own timbre, but to adjust yourself to either one or the other or be the middle core of the third set, actually. And Strauss writes in, in that respect uh, quite uh, provocally and quite um, challenging for the, for the voice because you have to have a, a certain lightness and agility. Uh, there's a lot of pianos and pianissimos in a high register, that is required in a second act, the, the big, 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 not only the Rose um, uh, presentation, but also later on the big love duet, which is with the Sophie. Um, and then you have a very powerful and very emotional Octavian, which is in the first act. Um, and I actually like it very much. It's, it's harder, I think, for um, a heavier voice than it is for the lighter voice. But I like that you can, at the end, in a light of confusion, still distinct the three different voices, and that obviously comes at the best in in a third set. There are moments where you just you get pulled into stratospheric uh, levels, you know, where you just lose completely the sense of reality that you are on a stage and performing actually for the people.
it really is like a waves in the ocean. It just comes and goes, and then one twirls or rips, and then the other ones take over. So it's permanent uh, movement. It's a permanent, um, yeah, continuous, continuous exchange, and yeah. it's, it's glorious. Some people talk about the orchestration, Strauss's orchestration, as being like its own separate character. That the orchestra takes on this whole oh, life. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think, particularly in Rosenkavalier, the music is just so incredibly rich and different. You have from the very, very, very sleek and and very tender moments to a complete bombastic. Um, not only waltzes, but you know the the, the third act, uh, particularly the the big scene when uh, when Ox is leaving. You know, it's, it's just bombastic. It's, I mean, it's a Wagner material with everybody blaring out, and and yet it it doesn't have this uh, heaviness. It's it's very ironic. Also, I find also the Strauss music very often ironic, and if it's done in the right way, it becomes very very transparent. Many Strauss lovers say that this Act Three trio is their favorite musical moment in Der Rosenkavalier. But it's actually not the most powerful one for Alina Garantia. For her, it's the first act duet, when the marshalin is pushing Octavian away. It's very emotional because it's uh, within 10-15 minutes the whole world of Octavian collapses basically and his agonizing despair of, of trying to convince her has been all the time rejected rejected until some point that the young man has to realize there is no continuation and it's very painful it's very painful for him it's also very musically very difficult and, and uh, Renee in that respect she's so sensitive and so gentle also the way she reacts to, to Octavian that at the end when I really leave the scene I really feel that it's you know, it got me. Yeah. It really did get me. your first time working with Renee Fleming is that is that Yeah true? we did a concert a couple of years ago in Berlin together but in a production this is the first time Right and and now it turns out it may actually be your last time at least yeah. at least in an opera <laughs> production you know so there's there's a kind of poignant sense of this being a farewell for her too I, I think people feel it in the audience and we feel it in the in the culture of of music lovers and opera lovers 
And I'm wondering for you on stage, if you have a sense of that too, you know, every, every performance at the end of this trio, the Marshallin walks off stage and you see Renee Fleming leave you there to carry on your, your younger life on stage. Do you have a sense of it being an important moment? Is there an extra something because of, because of this time in her career? I don't feel it so much in it. That said, first of all, because we are singing the final part, we're singing all out um, into the audience. But for me, I think I go back again to this big duet at the first finale act uh, of one. I think that is the moment where she sings the last drops of inside world that she has for Marshallin. She's singing them out. And you can actually see it's like a time, like a sand watch. You know, you see that at some point the sand is just getting less and less and less and less until the really the last seed has been falling down. And, and somehow I feel also the same for me. And I think this is the wonderful thing that once you let something go, you let it at the point you said, I've said everything that I had to say or I could say with this role. And I think she is arriving to that point and me too. And it's actually nice that, you know, being good friends, I mean, being great, also the colleagues, we have that trust and we can share that very vulnerable and very intimate moment because it's not easy to let go. Yet, I'm happy to let go because it's time. It's time. And, you know, it's never easy just to make the final cut. It has to be done. As I, sometimes I say, you know, uh, sometimes to survive, you need to amputate. You know, it's, <laughs> I mean, we are not in such extremes here, but uh, <laughs> to move on, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, it's just a time. I mean, for me, it's 70 years and, and, and two months. I mean, 17 years, it's a long time in one's life. It is. It is. <laughs> Do you think that Renee has a sense of it being an important moment for her in this role? I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. The last performance is in just a couple of weeks. May 13th. May 13th. I imagine that's going to be quite a big, quite a big thing to go through. Yeah, but you know, there's there are different people who differently go with it. I'm never the one who really sits down and sulks about it. I rather overplay it and I just make a hysterical party out of it. So <laughs> we can't really afford in the third act to have a real champagne. But I think that real <laughs> champagne is going to be waiting the moment the curtain goes down at the end. <laughs> and it is actually our last show and it's the HD and uh, uh, we are having a party actually after. Afterwards, so I should hope so. Yeah. <laughs> so you talked about, you know, knowing when it's time to move on and being comfortable with that. And in many ways, we see the Marshallin as a woman who has the wisdom to know when to move on, when to take that step. But she also talks about the fact that in some ways we never really change, that we, we grow older, we grow up, we change on the outside, but that there's a part of us that actually stays the same throughout our whole life. And we can still feel like we're 17 years old, even if we're 30 or 40 or 70 or whatever. Do you think that's true? Do you think that... Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. I got stuck approximately at the age of 27 and I still feel it. <laughs> that's pretty so, mature, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, that not bad. Yeah, because at the age of 27, you are out of school and I started to work already and I got my first bigger um, successes and the first bigger... Uh, assignments and, uh, you know, acknowledgement of me as, as an artist. And it was a really, very, very great time. However, you do not, you are not aware yet of that responsibility that the big success carries, you know. So it's really a very, very nice time. Um, you know, the whole world is in front of you and you just open the door and you see it and you make the first step. So you want to concur it all. Um, but it's also to do with the lightness and about how you take life. You don't take yourself too seriously yet. You know, you, you work for for your success. You work for what your ideals are and your morals are. Um, but you don't have a direct responsibility as I have now with my children. 
So uh, that I want to keep, and I'm I'm trying also to keep it. Uh, but it's not that I enforce it; it's just what I am. It's I mean, my mom who passed away unfortunately um, no, nearly two years ago. She said, you know, I don't know where the life has passed by. I was still just got getting married and having children. How can it be that you have a children on your own at this very moment? So the, the time just flies. And I think it's very important for us who live such a big part of our lives in different characters um, on a stage and, and so many people uh, probably identify or personalize us with what we are not, that it's very important to keep what we really are in the real life. So I, I kind of try to keep it. And some of the friends who really knows me from Latvia said that I haven't really grown up yet. So <laughs> I'll take it as a compliment. Yeah, well, that seems like a good thing in this case. Uh, do you find that having children is, is grounding, that it grounds you in, in who you are and in, in your real life despite playing characters and traveling the world and all of that? It gives you a certain, um, certain, yeah, grounding, but not the one that pulls down and, and lets you not move. It gives you a certain stability and some certain trampoline for you to, you know, have a nice bounce so you can jump on where you had to or want to. And I, I realize now that uh, I wouldn't be able to be in uh, brackets just mum or just singer. I need the two worlds and I need my time on my own at this very moment I'm alone with them and I also need that the time when the opening night was coming and my children were there and all this responsibility and all this stress and you know premiere coming on and getting tighter tighter at the moment I went home it all just disappeared because there were other issues so it helped me again to overcome this last week of preparation where you literally just live in a theater and, and rehearse from the morning until the night and if you're alone, you come home and then you start to think and start to worry and question yourself. And now I came home and the children were, you know, I needed to go to Lion King and Aladdin and Central Park, <laughs> you know, and, and worry if they're going to have three sweeties or seven chocolates and, uh, during the day. So that helps for me and, and the other way around again. Uh, so for me, it's, uh, yeah, essential to have the both worlds. Did you do you feel that you changed? I mean, we said that you kind of stopped at twenty seven. That you you mm. got to there, and then that's kind of where you've been inside your head since that time. But having your children, do you feel that there was a change that happened for you? There is this one part of Elena which will never change, you know, and that probably is the part that uh, drives me. Probably mainly in uh, my professional world. Um, what, what is that part? What's that core I think it's thing? a certain cheekiness. It's a certain uh, humor, you know, a little bit of irony and a little dot of cynicism, <laughs> cynicism also. Uh, but something that, you know, curiosity probably. And that's also has been one of... Uh, one of the reasons why I never got stuck in a certain repertoire because, you know, as people start to sing Mozart or a little bit more bel canto, you immediately as a singer have been put in a box or oh, that's the Mozart singer or oh, that's a Strauss singer. And I always well, I always was against it because uh, I need variety and I need also the change for me because I get bored very, very quickly. And that's why I never really go from one production, for example, of Carmen into another three productions in a row. I need something in between just to kind of shake it all off. Um, yeah, so this kind of a cheeky Alina is still there. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Keep her. Keep her. <laughs> he 
Sang, She Sang is a production of Classical New York, WQXR. My guest today was mezzo-soprano Alina Garancha, who's singing the role of Octavian in the Mets' new production of Der Rosenkavalier. This Saturday is the last of the Met opera broadcasts for the season, so He Sang, She Sang will be going on a bit of a break. But keep an eye out for future episodes. And we would love to hear what you thought of this first season of the podcast. Things you enjoyed, things you didn't, anything you want to share with us. You can comment on our show page at wqxr.org or leave a review in iTunes. It's been so great sharing this music and these conversations with you. Until next time, I'm Marin Lazian. Thank you for listening. <laughs>